the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I'm sure there's been plenty of times you, you've known what the Lord wanted you to do, but you just were like, eh, I don't want to do that well. I don't want to do that. You know, and, and you inflict more injury on yourself because you, you just rebel against the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure a few of you could relate that the more you kind of resisted the Lord and rebelled against Him, the more painful it became. Stop kicking. Stop kicking. And Jesus says to him, why do you kick against the goat? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Has there been a time when you knew there was something you needed to do for work or at home, but you really didn't want to? No matter how hard you fought against it, at the end of the day, you still had to do it. Too many times, Christians will feel the Lord steering them to do something, But out of fear or stubbornness, they fight against it. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds you that you can refuse to follow the Lord's calling as long as you want. But in the end, Jesus is there waiting for you to stop fighting. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And again, it's because he saw them as a heretical sect of Judaism. So that's why he was so zealous. He actually thought he was doing God a favor. If you really believe something passionately and you will do everything you can to see that that thing happens or is fulfilled, you know, A plus for his zeal, right? But an F for his understanding of what the truth was. Uh, A very educated guy, not dumb at all, very smart man, but had missed the truth about Jesus. In fact, in Galatians chapter 113, when he talks about his testimony a little bit more, you don't need to turn there, but he says, I was intensely persecuting Christians. I mean, he he had every intention of ridding the earth of Christians. And he thought he was doing it in the name of God, for God, and doing God a favor. So this is Paul. And here he is on this mission to Damascus, the 150, 200 mile journey or so from Jerusalem to Damascus, letters in hand, on this mission to arrest Christians, have them thrown in jail back in Jerusalem, persecuted, and then potentially killed for their faith. In what? For their faith in Christ. And then he has this incredible encounter on the road 
to Damascus. And sometimes we will affectionately refer to people who have this great transformational, you know, conversion experience. Like they'll say, well, you know, that person had a Damascus Road experience. That's what they mean. Because Paul's experience here is very unique and very dramatic. And what we see happening here, just to kind of summarize what we have just read here in the first few verses of chapter 9, is that when Saul was near Damascus, Syria, on his way to persecute Christians, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. Now, when the Lord appears to him in this brilliant light, it says there in verse 4, if we back up now, we're going to kind of backtrack here and, and, and unpack the first uh, 19 verses. In verse 4, it says that, that, that Saul fell to the ground. And for whatever reason, a lot of people have it in their head that, that he fell off a horse. I, I don't know if that's because in Sunday school, you know, part of the old, <laughs> going back again to date myself to the old flannel boards, you know, maybe there's a picture of, of Saul on a horse and, you know, and then he got knocked off the horse. It, it maybe, it just doesn't say that he was on a horse. Okay? It doesn't say that. So, you know, we've kind of, sometimes we embellish the story. You know, it doesn't take anything away, I suppose, from the ultimate story, but there's no mention of a horse here. All right? It just says that he fell to the ground in verse 4. And Jesus then appears to him. Now, this is the resurrected Lord Jesus who miraculously, in this unique occasion, appears to Saul. Saul sees him and hears him. It tells us that Paul's traveling companions in verse 7 only heard they did not see. So that's kind of interesting. So the Lord didn't reveal himself to the traveling companions. They heard something. It doesn't even say they heard the words of Jesus. It just says in verse 7 that the men traveling with Saul stood their speeches. They heard the sound. You know, so what sound did they hear? Did they actually hear the exact words that Jesus spoke to Saul? It doesn't say that, just that they heard a sound, but, but that they, it says, but they did not see anyone. So they don't see Jesus, only Saul does. And Jesus, in his appearance here to Saul, says to him, why do you persecute me? There in verse 4, and, and he repeats it again when, when Saul says in verse 5, who are you, Lord? And Lord, even though he doesn't honestly acknowledge him as Jesus, otherwise why would he be asking who are you? But it's, it's, a, it's a term of respect. He, he recognizes this is some divine being here. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus, again, when Jesus identifies himself, I am Jesus, and he again says, whom you are persecuting. Why do you persecute me? And then I'm Jesus, the one that you persecute. So he brings up this persecution thing Jesus does twice to, to indicate to us, Jesus is very connected to his children. You mess with his kids, you're messing with him. You know how it goes if somebody ever intends to do harm to one of your children. It's as if they're intending to do harm to you. Because if, if somebody tries to harm your children, they're in as much harming you. Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me? I mean, Saul was going around persecuting the early church. He was persecuting Christians. What had he personally done to Jesus? Except that in persecuting the followers of Christ, you were persecuting Christ. You are persecuting Christ himself. And so Jesus confronts him with this question. Why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, right here at, at, this, at this juncture, between verses 5 and 6, and I just want to point this out. King James and New King James versions have something the NIV doesn't. And I want to point this out. Between verses 5 and 6, King James and New King James adds it, that Jesus says, 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then in verse 6, Jesus says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Why does the NIV not have it? King James, New King James does. It's it's an age-old debate about the ancient manuscripts, the oldest versus the most quantity. And NIV opts for if, if not all of the, of the ancient manuscripts had it, then we'll just kind of eliminate it to be on the safe side. But, but it doesn't, again, really take anything away from the story, except that it does shed light on Paul's disposition and sometimes our own. And, and by that I mean this. Jesus confronts him. Why are you you kicking against the goats? Now, to understand what he means, you have to be a farmer in the first century. So if you don't know what a goat is, here's what a goat is. A goat is basically, if you're a farmer and and you're driving a few oxen who are are, plowing your field and your oxen get all stubborn, like sometimes animals will, will, that a farmer would have a long stick, basically, with a sharp pointed jagged metal end and if the oxen just got all stubborn or stopped the farmer would take the goad with this sharp metal point and and punch the behind of of the oxen to get them moving you know you get poked in the behind you'll start moving yourself too and so but the idea is that sometimes the oxen in their stubbornness would refuse to move and every time they'd get hit by the goad the, the oxen would just kind of kick back. They'd kick back against it. And so it's this idea of, don't you realize, you know, you oxen, if you keep kicking back against the goat, you're going to do more harm to yourself. Stop, stop resisting and just move on. And so Jesus uses this expression to communicate to Saul, you've been kicking against me for a long time. And you've done yourself more harm than good. Haven't you felt the pain? Every time you kick against me, haven't you felt the pain? You know something? This, this story, though it happened in the first century AD, could be said of any of us. Because I'm sure there's been plenty of times. You, you've known what the Lord wanted you to do. But you just were like, eh, I don't want to do that, Lord. Eh, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and you inflict more injury on yourself because you, you just rebel against the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure a few of you could relate. That the more you kind of resisted the Lord and rebelled against him, the more painful it became. Stop kicking. Stop kicking. And Jesus says to him, why do you kick against the goad? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus then answers, verse 6, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he goes on into Damascus, obviously with the help of his traveling companions, because it tells us that as a result of this encounter, he was blind for three days until a guy by the name, a disciple by the name of Ananias, was sent by the Lord to pray for him that he might receive both his sight and the Holy Spirit. Ananias is the Greek transliteration of his name. His Hebrew name is Hananiah. Hananiah is one of the names that we find in the book of Daniel, one of the friends of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Hananiah in Hebrew means God is gracious or God's favor. 
And so here is this disciple by this name. He's a Jew, but he is a believer in Jesus, minding his own business in Damascus, when it tells us that the Lord appeared to him in a vision, in verse 10. Called him by name. Ananias answers, yes, Lord. And the Lord tells him there in verse 11, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Look how specific God is here with his instruction. Go to the house of Judas. Here's his address, Straight Street. Ask for a man. He was born in Tarsus. His name is Saul, and he's praying. Got it? I mean, that's pretty clear. That's pretty specific. And it says, Jesus goes on, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Let, let me just suggest something to you. You know, and I've said this on many occasions. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I don't believe that they faded out in the first century. I still believe that God does miraculous, wonderful things. And, and he gives uh, freely the gifts of the Spirit uh, according to how he wills. Um, but I will say this, for, for those on, on the hyper-charismatic side, don't ever just accept somebody coming up to you saying, you know, the Lord told me this on your behalf. Because I want you to notice from this story, and it appears again in chapter 10, that God works at both ends. Okay? He says to Ananias, here's a guy I want you to go to, here's the address, here's his name, here's where he was born, and by the way, he, meaning Saul, is, has already had a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. What is God doing? On both ends, he's showing Saul. Saul, I'm going to give you this vision. There's a guy who's going to come to you. His name is Ananias. He's going to place his hands on you. You're going to receive your vision again. And then with Ananias, he gives a vision to Ananias and he speaks to Ananias. He says, I want you to go to a guy named Saul who's from Tarsus at, at a guy whose name is Judas at his house on Straight Street. And notice what God is doing on both ends here. It wasn't that Ananias just showed up and said, Saul, you know, listen, I just have a word for you. And I know, I know you have no clue, but I'm here to tell you what God told me. No, because God had already prepared the heart of Saul. The same thing we're going to see later in chapter 10, probably not tonight, but when we get to chapter 10, you have a Gentile by the name of Cornelius who receives a vision from the Lord. And then you have Peter who receives a vision from the Lord. Cornelius receives a vision about Peter. Peter receives a vision about Cornelius. Why? Because God is working at both ends. And as much as I completely believe in all the gifts of the Spirit and all the power of the Spirit... Do not fall for someone who says to you that I have something for you that God has not already told you. Because God works at both ends. And God can bring somebody along to confirm, certainly, what he has shown you. But new revelation from somebody else is not reliable. You also can receive from the Lord directly and then have confirmation by what God is going to do on, another, on the other end. Okay, But be very, very careful that we just don't accept what somebody else presents to us without first testing it and knowing ourselves directly from the Lord. So I just want to point that out because God is very careful when you see in Scripture. He works at both ends here in the book of Acts. And here he is working this way in the life of Saul and in the life of Ananias. Ananias is initially skeptical, as any of us would be. 
Um, Ananias knows Saul's reputation. Where he says there in verse 13, I, I've, he kind of, you know, he kind of, He's not arguing with God, but he's just like, you know, help me understand this because I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, without exaggeration, and, I, and this is probably a delicate, you know, analogy. But I want you to understand how radical this is. Okay. Obviously, not to the degree of what ISIS has done in killing Christians around the world. Because the church is relatively young, and you know, not thousands have been killed just yet. But I want you to try to imagine if one of the leaders of ISIS had a dramatic conversion experience to Christ, and then all of a sudden, this is the person God says to you, now I want you to go lay hands on this person, they might receive their sight and receive the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this, Lord. Yeah, this is the guy. He said this dramatic, and you're going to see, not only with Ananias, you're going to see when the disciples first engage with him, they're a little skeptical, like we're, we're not, because Paul has this reputation of being the one to go around throwing people in prison and having them murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So Ananias at first is a little resistant here, but I want you to notice somewhere between his question and when he actually gets to where Saul is, he accepts him as a brother because that's the way he greets him. Look in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. He calls him a brother right from the very beginning because he accepts what God has said to him as true. That, and listen to me, even the most radical, offensive person to Christ can get saved. By the power of Jesus Christ working in the hearts of people today, and as much as we might be reluctant or resistant to embrace somebody because we know their past or we know their reputation or we know what they've done, listen, we need to have an open heart and an open mind and open arms to embrace everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, who gets saved, irrespective of what they have done, and call them brother and call them sister. Because God is still in the business of radically saving people. And just like he did for Saul, he can do for many people, and he's done for many of us. And so here Ananias embraces him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may, be, you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, at some point in here, it's, it's obvious that Saul becomes a believer. He has three days where he's blind, and it says, and he doesn't eat, and he doesn't drink anything. So he's on this timeout where God has given him this three days of timeout, fasting, praying. And during those three days, the obvious implication here is that he's connected all the dots, that this Jesus who appeared to me really is Messiah. He puts his faith and trust in him, and then Ananias greets him as a brother, and then he prays for him that he might see again, and receive the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this multiple times through the book of Acts. Okay, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily the fullness of the Spirit. That's a separate and distinct work from the indwelling of the Spirit. And so as Ananias lays his hands on Saul, he's going to receive the fullness of the Spirit. And then it says that something like scales. I want you to imagine if you go fishing, like fish scales, it just kind of fall off his eyes, and his eyes are open. But more importantly, his heart, he has seen with his heart, and he accepts and 
believes and receives and is water baptized. Verse nine, uh, verse 18 says he got up and was baptized. So he believed and was baptized. This is his conversion. Dramatic conversion here. And he's going to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. From persecuting Christians and trying to kill Christians to being as a Christian, as a Christ follower, to save as many people as possible to come to the knowledge of the same faith in Jesus as he has. So radical conversion here. Now, you know, please understand, it's not like he went from being Jewish to a Christian and kind of like, you know, renounced Judaism or something. That's not, that's not what happens. When, when, and in fact, today, when you talk to a Jew who is a believer in Jesus, they will sometimes refer to themselves as a Messianic Jew. Sometimes they will say a completed Jew. Sometimes they will say a Jew who's a believer in Jesus as Messiah. Uh, but they don't like lose their, their Jewishness, okay? Saul was and remained a Jew, but a Jew who now believes in Jesus as Messiah. And this is his dramatic conversion here. So let's read on. Verse, um, rest of verse 19, the next section says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Okay, so that tells us that there were some followers of Christ living there in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't this incredible? The same guy who came to kill Christians is now proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on the name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, really meaning in the power of the Spirit, and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's going to take all his great Jewish intellect and all the studies of Jewish scriptures And now that the light has literally gone off, he is going to be able to apply those scriptures in ways that before he has never seen or understood. And using his own Jewish scriptures, he's going to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Now, verse 23, I need to make a little disclaimer here. It says, after many days had gone by, and I want you in the margin of your Bible to write three years. Okay, I know it says after many days, and it really means a lot of many days. And the only reason we know this, um, let me just finish the sentence. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. The only reason we know this is because of what Paul writes in Galatians 1. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. Just listen to what it says. Paul says this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Listen, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So when you put his testimony together with the story here, what it tells us is he gets radically saved here in Damascus. 
Then he's going to go away after he preaches a little bit, but then almost immediately he goes away to Arabia, where he stays for three years. Then he comes back to Damascus. That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.